sweet to be together. It's such a unique thing, right, the church? You go on your, go into the world all week and kind of feel like you're alone a lot. Um, at least I do. Um, and then you come in and you're like, wow, other people love the Lord too. Isn't this amazing? Um, and it's really a, a shot in the arm. Um, so if you're new here and you're like, what's with all these people? Why are they so happy to see each other? And that's why, at least one reason. Uh, we're not certainly dealing with the same affinities. A lot of us aren't the same age, came from different backgrounds, different countries. And, uh, but man, we get together and the, the Lord's in the midst and there's a supernatural fellowship that goes beyond earthly things. Um, it's sweet. It's a reminder that our fellowship is supernatural with the Lord and therefore can be with each other. Um, so if you're new here, that's what that was about. That's what was happening, okay? All right, so we are in Colossians. Again, I'm going to thank you guys for being so tough to, man, just figure it out again and again and again. And um, So I'm going to do a real quick recap. Hopefully you're there. Colossians is a little letter in the, towards the back of the Bibles. Um, towards the back of the Bible. What, what is covered by the time? What page number is that? Nine-something? Yeah, so uh, turn over there if you need a pew Bible. If Obviously, if you own it, you can use a table of context. You want to want to have it in front of you, okay? This is a letter that the, this guy, the Apostle Paul, we, we would say, um, wrote to this little church in Colossae. All right, and generally, just big picture things. He's writing this letter um, because he longs to see the life-changing work of the gospel enter into the lives of the believers there. That's the, kind of the, the big, he just, he's writing this because he wants to see the gospel change lives and, um, and those that would receive the gospel. But he's also keenly aware, as I'm, I'm sure you guys are aware, that the influence of the culture has, a, has an impact. All right? And he's aware of that, and he's, he's going to write in a way that addresses that influence, okay? Because in every single case in life, whatever you believe manifests itself into life, okay? Whatever you believe issues itself in a way of life. And so, every, and that's true for believer or not believer. What you believe will manifest itself in life. And he wants to make sure that that influence of the culture isn't influencing what they believe, all right? So, uh, real quick recap, okay? Just fly with me, okay? Paul and Timothy also are writing this letter, and they give a, a grateful, they're very thankful. This is in uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. They're very grateful, and they give a glowing report that they heard from Epaphras. So they heard this report from Epaphras, and they're, they're, just, they're writing, we're grateful that the Lord has done this work. He's saying that you guys are, you guys are sharing life together well, you're loving well, you're in the doctrine well, and so he's grateful. Okay, he goes on to, to say that Paul and Timothy, they're, they're continuing to pray on their behalf, that there would be even more, there already is fruit, but there'd be even more gospel fruit in their lives. And that's verses 9 to 14 in chapter 1. Then Paul, in the next section, verses 15 to 23, goes into this kind of treatise about who Jesus is. All right, he's kind of the, like the songs we were just singing. He's lifting Christ up above all things, sovereign over all things. 
And it's doubtless that he's already said these things to them when he was there or, when, or in a previous letter or through the avenue of um, teaching. All right, He's probably already said these things, but that's what it means to minister to one another. Amen? You tell the same things over and over and over again. All right, And so he's doing that. He's reminding them about these things that he's already told them about who Jesus is. And this section really, I would say, forms the basis of the letter. It's kind of the underpinning of the letter, where it's going to go, because the, the people would say that Colossians is the most Christ-centered book in the, the whole scripture, believe it or not, because it's about Christ being preeminent above all things, okay? Whether it's creation or the spiritual realms or the church or relationship with man over and above all things. But the next section takes us through that Paul also knows that the Colossian, the, the church there, loves him, all right? And they, because of the love, they're worried about him because he's suffering for the sake of the gospel, which they're the benefactor of, all right? And so he knows that about them, and he wants to ease their concern, and he says he rejoices in the suffering for their sake and will continue to toil and to struggle for those in Colossae and Laodicea, a nearby town, and how will he strive for them? Well, it's similar to how he talks about to Timothy in a letter to Timothy. This is from 1 Timothy. And this is very much kind of what he says to Timothy in this letter. Now Paul and Timothy are saying almost the same exact thing to the Colossi, the Colossians. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. He's talking to Timothy, remember. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, full stop, you can take that home and chew on that one. Godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise, for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. As we go through this section in Colossians in chapter two, at the end of chapter 2, I want you guys to start to, if you walk away with nothing else, I want you to start to realize that this, what Paul is saying to the Colossians in this section is in almost every other epistle. The same kind of thrust of um, let, not letting liars who consciences are seared do something to make the believer ineffective for the gospel. And, that, and that's, he's going to toil and strive, Paul is going to toil and strive to make that true in the Colossians' life. All right, so that's where we're picking up, kind of in the middle of this alert. Okay, he's striving to alert them to the dangers of not keeping Christ as the preeminent one. 
and instead trading down for legalism or aestheticism or mysticism. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 16 of chapter 2. Let's read the whole thing together. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These, indeed, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we do ask, as I agree with my brother Josh, that you would use it in our lives for your glory, and your glory alone. Because we know with, as you are magnified in our life, as you are glorified in your life, man, the blessings will rain down. And so, Lord, help us to hold fast to the head today and use your word to, uh, to that end. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. All right, so where, as I'm grateful that we read that whole section together, these, these numbers, like the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, many of you guys already know this, but if you're new to Bible, these, Paul didn't write these in there, okay? These were added later to help us to get around the scriptures, and I don't know if this is the greatest spot. I'm not an expert in any means, but it does seem to interject right in the middle of a, a bridge, all right? But where do these Gnostics, like we talked about last time, these false teachers find their angle of entry into the believer's life? I would say it's at the end of verse 23. Look down. He says, these, talking about all these human precepts and teachings, these false ways of worshiping, these have an indeed appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value. This is, I think, the topic in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I guess in the positive, we might say, or strengthening self-control, right? So stopping the indulgence of the flesh or strengthening self-control. These things have no value there. I think this is what the angle is. Because I think all of us would agree that self-control is good. Can I get an amen? amen. Come on. Some of you don't believe self-control is good? Everyone here, I would imagine. I think we were having a discussion about this in the office uh, this week. I don't think it's far outside the lines, if, if at all, to say that um, self-control is in the fabric of each of us. Okay, And I say that because this line of thinking, we are created in the image of God. Amen? And to... There, even within the Godhead, there's boundaries. The God, God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not the Holy Spirit and all the other 
um, combinations. Okay, there's boundaries. They each have their their role, their ministry, how, how they how they relate to each other. All right, so there's boundary there. I would say we were created as God's creation to live within the boundaries of His law. Okay, and so if that was how we are created, then we must have that fabric some that in woven into our fabric somewhere. Now we'd say that is easily overshadowed by the licentiousness of our, flood, our sin nature. Easily. And we would say that that has overwhelmingly the, the, the bigger thing. All right, so I say that because this feels like how the Gnostics, these Gnostics, these people of kind of spiritual thinking or, or special knowledge are coming in and they're using that angle of self-control and self-indulgence to get in and, and place their legalism, their aestheticism, their mysticism on top of the gospel and, and, quench, and, and quench out the power of it, and that's the angle in. Okay, Remember, these Gnostics, it's an umbrella term. It doesn't mean like, um, like if you're, I'm a Gnostic, and so I believe X, Y, and Z. Okay, that's, it's, it's, it's more of like a term of like a way of thinking, but there's a couple pieces that seem to be core to it. One part is it's like an escapist mentality, okay? And we'll get into that. And then the other part is an elitist mentality, okay? Escapist and elitist. And what I mean by that is rule one for the Gnostic, matter doesn't matter, okay? Physical matter, okay? The physical realm doesn't matter, okay? Only the spiritual is important to the Gnostic, Okay, only the spiritual. And so the physical realm, the created realm, is at best an annoyance, okay, and at worst a mistake. Okay? You might even say at worst evil. Okay? That if it's created, if it's in the physical, it's actually evil. There's an evil component to it. This is why escaping from the physical, now you're starting to make the connection to legalism and aestheticism. This is why escaping from the physical is crucial for the Gnostic. There is no room for creation, time, or history, because all these things are part of the physical. Okay, That's the Gnostic way of thinking. Again, it's not like a, I went to Gnostic church or something like that, and this is what they told me to believe. It's just a way of thinking. Rule two for the Gnostic is the way out of the physical prison is through a secret knowledge that's only revealed to a special class of people. The elitist mentality, okay? You guys see this. This is why that elitist mentality follows. There's the people that definitely have no chance of understanding these spiritual things. Then there's a, we have to work really hard, but there's a, there's a class of people that we, we can probably teach them to attain to higher spiritual thinking. And then there's us that know, that have been revealed these special things, and the mysticism comes in. Okay, so what's the confusion? You'd be like, well, this is a duh. This is clearly not gospel. What's the deal, Paul? Why are you even spending any time? This is so clearly not gospel, but deception is the name of the game, right? And so when this belief, when this way of thinking enters in, whether it's to a small degree or to a great degree, whether it's cultural or actually like a, a religious way of thinking, however it creeps in, it's going to bring with us legalism and license. Legalism and license, and we'll get into that a little bit too. So 
Paul is saying to the Corinthians, or to, sorry, not the Corinthians, he's talking to the Colossians. He says, yes, the gospel does change behavior, but not according to the ways of the world. Okay? Not according to the ways of the world. God doesn't use the methods of culture to change people. Okay? And he definitely doesn't use, he definitely doesn't contradict the doctrine that he has given to do so. Okay? And as he, I think Paul's kind of message as we get into it generally is to say that to address self-control, to address self-indulgence, to address this topic in these worldly ways that he is explaining is extremely ineffective and a downright disqualifier as you place your faith in another God. All right, so let's go back to verse 16 and 17. He starts by saying, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul says, therefore, in verse 16, because he's connecting to the previous passage. Look, hopefully you have your Bible there. Look up to verses 13 to 15. He tells them that you're de- you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He's connecting that statement. Since that is true, therefore, do not let someone pass judgment on you based on these things. Because your freedom from sin, from the slavery of sin, from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, is based on that previous part that he nailed it to the cross. He crossed out that demand. Legally, he did it. And so therefore, you, don't, you know, for those that have accepted, have received that forgiveness, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, etc., etc., these things are clearly Jewish. Would you agree? Why you agree? I'm going to get a drink of water. We think about the food and drink, um, unclean and clean things from Leviticus chapter 11. If you're new to the Bible, you can look up this later. But essentially the, the law of saying what is clean and what is unclean to eat and to drink. Festivals. Okay, again, a, a Jewish... Uh, um, given by God festivals to, to, to celebrate on a yearly basis, okay? New moons, you think about like harvest and, and, and new moon festivals. And then obviously the Sabbath as we think about Exodus as well, the this, this Sabbath rest, the Sabbath um, command, all right? These, are, these things are clearly Jewish, but remember the term Gnostic isn't, isn't definitive. It, it's inclusive. It, it takes from this, it takes what it likes from here and adds it in. It takes from what it likes from here and adds it in. As long as it, as long as it keeps feeding that elitist mentality and that escapist mentality, the, the Gnostic is okay to take it. Okay? And so that, that Gnostic way of thinking would gladly take on these pieces of what it means to be Jewish 
so long as it serves that purpose. All right, so just remember that. These are clearly Jewish, but that doesn't make it. The Gnostic can easily take those in with it. All right? These things that he mentions aren't even in and of themselves bad things. God gave these things. And God doesn't give bad gifts. All right, so God gave these things. These things aren't even of themselves bad. But Paul describes them as what? A shadow of things to come. They are representative. You think about a shadow in real life. They are representative. They just, they look similar. They trace an outline of, they make the form of this, but the substance, what is casting the shadow? He calls that Christ. Amen. The argument that Paul is making makes their, the, the Gnostic or the false teacher's whole argument seem really silly. It's a, you know, the, the image that he puts on it of shadow and substance makes, so, makes that argument seem so silly because if we are, say we're waiting for someone, we're outside and we're waiting for someone and the, and the sun's coming down behind us and we're, we're waiting for that person and we see the shadow of that person come up. You guys with me? You guys picturing this? You can probably tell, knowing that who you're waiting for, that that is that person, right? You you can tell. Without seeing their face or anything, just the form of it, you see that. But none of us would jump on the ground and try to hug the shadow. You know, that's ridiculous. And so he he makes this imagery that makes, oh yeah, these things that were a shadow, but the substance of Christ, why would I be judged by these things? When Christ has come. Listen to William Hendrickson say it this way. Why regard as indispensable ordinances as to eating when the one foreshadowed by Israel's manna is offering himself as the bread of life? Okay? Think about that from John chapter 6. How can the observance of the Passover be considered a means unto spiritual perfection when our Passover has been sacrificed, even Christ. What justification could there be for imposing upon converts from the Gentile world the observance of the Jewish Sabbath when the bringer of eternal rest is urging every one to come unto him? That Sabbath rest has come. Read Hebrews. He has come. He is our Sabbath rest. And so Paul's making this argument that these things are just a shadow of what was to come. And he has come. In the, in the blazing reality of him, the shadow is gone. As uh, Kyle read earlier from Hebrews, the, f- the first order is done. The new covenant is here. We live in the reality of the gospel that all these things are fulfilled in him and put away. Jesus talking about what makes someone clean and unclean makes this so clear himself. Matthew chapter 15 says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? Do they, for they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them. Jesus answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. 
For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. The disciples, as usual, a little confused, came and said to him, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He said, I don't care. No, Jesus doesn't say, I don't care. Relax. He cares. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? You know, a little graphic on Sunday morning. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Jesus said this so clearly. And Paul is just trying to emphasize these things as these Colossians are being told, you've got to live this way in order to attain fullness in Christ. In order to attain even salvation, you have to live this way. And Paul's saying, no, you, you take the, the power of the gospel away when you live under that law. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. This is very similar to what he just said. It's almost like he's just taking what he said and just putting a little bit different nuance on it. Okay? Don't let someone disqualify you or say you're unfit or unworthy of a prize. But here's the important part. What's it based on? It's based on their understanding. There is a judgment for us. And it, but it should be based on the word of God, not just someone's traditions or commandments of men. It's not based on the practices of asceticism, worship of angels, or pretense about visions that they go on and on about. I think we tend to like this phrase. You can't judge me. You can't disqualify me, right? Be careful here. There is a certain degree of judging that we're supposed to do for one another. All right? The church is called to do judging. It's called to use, but you're called to use the standard of God's word, and you're called to use the same standard that you would use on yourself. All right? So don't just run around saying, don't judge me if someone's saying, you can't, you can't keep watching porn. They're right. That, that can disqualify you, okay? So as, as we interact, be careful here. There's a balance. He's saying don't let them disqualify you for these things. But there is a godly type of judging that happens in the church that we are grateful for. Again, back to Gnostic thought. When the physical is bad and the spiritual is good, we can easily make the jump to this. When the physical is bad and the spiritual is good, we can easily make the judge, judge to jump to this because asceticism is going to penalize this prison that we're in. 
right? We're going to whip ourselves. We're going to, we're going to fast until we're un, to a place of unhealthiness. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to take every good thing that God has given for us to enjoy, and we're going to treat it like it's nothing. It's trash. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this, and we're going to whip this thing into submission. It makes sense if that's how you think about the physical realm. Also, even the, think, look, he talks about worship of angels. He's meaning there's like this false humility, like I can't go to God directly, and so I'm, because I just, I can't be before him. Like the, the spiritual is, is, this is the physical, this is the spiritual. I, I don't deserve to be up there, so I'm actually going to go through a mediator, an angel, and I'm going to worship them for their mediation to, to, the, to, the God, to God. It's still a false humility because it's, it goes against the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? Angels? No, by the blood of Jesus. That's Hebrews 10, 19. Hebrews 4, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Confidently drawing near. What's he say about angels in Hebrews 1? Aren't they not all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? They're sent to serve the redeemed. To bring them into, to, not to bring them into salvation as a mediator, but to, to serve for the sake of an salvation. They're not to be worshipped. We're to think of them as, as, as kind of serving us. We think of them as being amazed that we experience redemption. This is what we're supposed to think about worship of angels, but when it's, when it's about elitist, it's, man, the, the Spirit gave me this vision. And I know he didn't give it to you, but trust me. This is, these are dangerous words. Be careful here. If you live your life by... by uh, that that experience is greater than this, be careful. You're walking on eggshells. So how does one get to this place of, of just going around disqualifying people and judging people for these things? He says it, by disregarding the head. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If you have a body part that has some sort of abnormality or injury, that for some reason it no longer communicates with the head, even if it's still attached to the body, okay, it still is a nuisance. It's still a problem. It still affects every other part of the body. And so he's saying connection, growth comes from Christ, the head, so lack of growth is lack of Christ. The church need not and must not look for any other source of strength to overcome sin or to increase in knowledge, virtue, and joy. So what is the balance of right living and enjoying the good gifts of God? Because we would say that some boundary is good. Amen? Amen. That, That this feels like it's on one end of the spectrum where you must do these things to experience salvation, or you must do these things to experience a fullness in your salvation. And Paul's saying, no, that fullness and salvation are based on the work of Christ and nothing else.
grace. But he's also not saying just to live in license either. You guys probably know the Bible says other things than that. You just don't do, you just, I do whatever I want because God's got me. So what is the balance? What does it look like to hold fast to the head and experience that growth that is from God? I tried to come up with my own ways to describe it. It just sounded terrible. So I'm going to use Romans 14. I'm going to be reading a lot. So I want, if, you, if you're easier to look at it, to follow, Romans 14, you can turn there. Again, this is Paul talking. Um, and so same author, same mind. Romans 14, Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Vegetarians, you weakings. Uh, just, just relax, just kidding. <laughs> let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another. This is festivals, you know, back to new moon, Sabbath. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day observes it in how does he observe it? What's his motivation? In honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while he, the one who abstains it, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of, God, of himself to God, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, you just... You, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drink and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing, upbuilding. 
Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between who? Yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. You're blessed if you live in that freedom, by the way. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is what? Sin. You may be led to fast or abstain in some way by the Holy Spirit, but the Lord will never have it to be the motivation to be more spiritual or have a greater pride towards your spirituality or fullness It will never be about you. Hide it. Keep it between you and him as an offering of gratefulness. And pray that it develop a deeper hunger for him. Warren Wearsby, he's a quippy guy, says, Paul was not counseling us to be rebels. But he was warning us not to think we are spiritual because we obey certain rules and regulations that pertain to the body. So, I lied to you. I'm sorry. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to do 20 to 23. But I'm actually kind of, maybe this is good, because look at verse 20 for me. It says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Now, Those words, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Verse 20 feels like a bridge to me, okay? And let me show you what I mean. In chapter 2, verse 8, Paul has already talked about the elemental spirits of the world. You guys see that? He says, See to that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And not according to Christ. He's brought up this concept. And he says, what does he say about it? If you've died to that, if with Christ you've died to that, etc., etc. Look at verse or chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So this is a bridge to me in, in that he's reaching back a little bit to remind them of where he's been. But he's starting a new thought, and he's going to continue that thought in chapter 3, because he says, if you've died with Christ, etc., now if you've been raised with Christ, and he's going to go into what it means to be raised with Christ. And so this is a good bridge to me, um, where Paul's beginning to try and get us to change our, our, our perspective, the Colossian perspective. Stop looking at these worldly things these things that are going to, these things that are temporal, these things that will perish as they're used. Verse 22, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used. Stop thinking about these things in such a worldly way. Let's lift our eyes to the heavenly perspective. And I think that's where he's going as he goes into um, these verses at the end of chapter 20 and then really then into chapter 3, 
verse, verse 20 and into chapter 3. But let's talk about a couple things um, to take away from this. All right, let's talk about a couple things to take away from this. Number one, believers here. And I'm assuming there's a lot, but I'm assuming not all. But if you have received Christ, the forgiveness of your sins through the cross of Jesus Christ, and have been made into a new creation through the Spirit, let, let, this, let today just be a reminder to you, okay? Things that you know, things that brought you to the cross, that your freedom is in Christ and Christ alone. The freedom you have from sin and the penalty of sin and the power of sin is in Christ and Christ alone. That is the basis for your freedom. And any spiritual act or rule that you follow to try and add to that, add to the, add to the forgiveness that's found in grace through Christ, is all you're doing is walking back under the yoke of the law. That's all you're doing. You're not helping yourself at all. It's only going to make you ineffective. It's only going to make you despair. There is no joy in putting yourself under the law again. Paul said it this way, or I don't, actually I don't know if it's Paul. Acts 15 says it this way. Uh, but they were talking about that the, at the Jerusalem Council about circumcision to the Gentiles. He says, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? That is what it means to walk back into the law. All right, so this is just a reminder to you believers, your freedom is not there. That is only the substance. That is only the shadow. <laughs> Christ is the substance of it. Alexander McLaren says it this way, there is only one thing that will put the collar on the neck of the animal within us, and that is the power of the indwelling Christ. Point number two, application number two, be very, very careful who you listen to and where you are influenced. Obviously, Paul knew that there was some kind of influence happening here and he was telling them be, to be careful about what they're hearing. And he was addressing what they were hearing. But for you, in the world of, man, you can go on and hear a bajillion different teachers today. You could spend the rest of today listening to people teach this specific thing, and you would not even touch uh, the beginning of it, of what's out there, through YouTube or the internet or whatever. Right? So it's... In a cacophony of voices, that's a great word, isn't it? You're welcome for that one. <laughs> cacophony of voices, be very, very careful. Be very, very careful because you are not above your ears getting a little tickly and looking for something that's to agree with you, all right? The proximity matters to me in a teacher, okay? Proximity matters. What I mean by that is, Yes, there are great teachers out there that I listen to. But if I see your life, if I know what your life is like, the worth that your voice has is so much stronger. So you can listen with a, with a tentative ear to, the, to good Bible teachers out there. But be careful because you don't see how they live. 
You don't see how they live. And you've seen plenty fall. I think in, a, in, my, in my kind of transition to, to my own life, worship of angels feels a little bit like worship of Bible teachers. All right? I know it's not exactly the same, but it's there. It's, it's in the ballpark. I'm grateful that this person brought me into the understanding now that I have. And there is a gratefulness, but it's, the gratefulness is directed towards the Lord. I would say even be careful about uh, good worship music. Okay? I would say be careful about this. You guys, um, you know, you put on, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're listening to, man, this song is great. It's, it's bringing my heart closer to the Lord. There's a gratefulness. I wonder where that's from. And then you start looking at the teachings, and the teachings might not match the words that they're singing. Okay? Just be careful there. Be wise. Be, be smart. What's it? Smart as a serpent. Wise as a serpent. Innocent as a dove. Okay? Just these are things that I want you guys to be careful about, because I think Paul wanted them to be careful about where their influence was coming from. And this one is, hits home the most, um, more personal. Be wise, be smart, and by what standard you hold others to. Okay? Especially those of, as Romans 14 would talk about, of the weaker faith. Be careful. The person who judges a believer because the believer is not living under Jewish laws or, or any other extra-biblical mandate is really judging Jesus Christ. That's who you're judging when you hold someone to a standard that's not there. You're judging that Jesus wasn't enough. That's a road I don't want to go down. But to the unbeliever here, I've hoped you heard life-giving things. The person that knows that they're not right with Christ. The message of the gospel is not this faraway supreme being killjoy that wants to restrict your life to the nth degree. That is not the message of the gospel. I challenge you, person that isn't walking with Christ right now, to read these words in this Bible. Okay? Start in the New Testament and start reading and see that it, it, the message of the gospel is actually a message, a story of a loving and very near Savior, who desires to give life and life and life to the fullest abundantly. I thought you guys were going to be with me a little closer there. <laughs> and he desires that so much that he would pay the debt on our rebellion and sin. As before, as we're enemies of him, he would pay that debt that there might be a way for us to be reconciled to him and receive that abundant life. You don't need to get clean before you get caught, as a Kevin Barbarism, right? Fishermen don't clean the fish before they catch them. They catch them, and then they clean them. So come to Christ, just as you are. Come to Christ in all your awfulness, all your sin, all your rebellion, Receive him and his forgiveness, and he'll begin to make you a new creation. And the nature that you have will change the appetite that you have. The nature that you have will change the appetite you have for this world. Amen?
Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your spirit among us. But we don't think we come to your word and by it receive life. It only points to you. We receive life, abundant life, through you. And there is no other way. And so, Lord, I I pray now for the one here that is not experiencing that abundant life, that joy, that whether they know you and just need to be poured into afresh and be reminded about the forgiveness that they have in you, that the grace that makes the law abolished or inadequate, that you would remind them of those things. But the person running from you, I know that they feel your call. Lord, give them the, the, the grace, the faith to answer that call, please. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen.